Good morning. It's good to be back after being away for a week. And today, as I mentioned two weeks ago, we're starting a series. I don't know how long it'll last. We'll have to see. On the book of Acts, which is the uh, first book that comes after the four Gospels in the New Testament uh, of the Bible. And I've entitled it, God's Community in the Midst of Empire. And I'm probably fairly sure that most of you are getting fairly tired of me talking about empire. There's a reason why I do that, and that is because I'm pretty well convinced that the hyper-individualism of Western society, of Western Christianity, including American Christianity, with its focus on how do I get to heaven when I die, has led us to miss this important theme of empire and God's kingdom as it runs throughout all of Scripture. And it's not that it's not about me as an individual, and it's not that it's not even about heaven. But our focus on that has just caused us to miss this greater theme. And we miss our individual involvement with the king. We see our ethics as being God has set rules and I need to keep the rules. I need to get an A on my report card or he's not going to like me. Where in reality, ethics is about how do I live as a citizen of God's kingdom in this world? And because we've missed the theme of empire, we've also missed the systemic nature of sin. That is, we're pretty good at knowing my own individual sin and my own in, the things that I do and do not do that are wrong or, and the, the right things that I do not do. But we miss the nature of sin as it exists in the, in the structures of our society, in what the New Testament calls the principalities and powers. And because we miss that, we're not very good as church in offering solutions. And we're right now at a place in our society where, as I've said this many times over the last year, this last year has revealed to us as a, as, a, as a nation and as a Western society and as a world that we just really don't have solutions to a lot of fundamental things. Our problems of materialism, racism, and militarism of violence, we cannot offer solutions. And I think part of that is because we've missed this theme of empire. That's why I keep, I keep focusing on it. And once you start to, to, to understand this theme, it really pops up everywhere in the scriptures. It's, 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 it's just, just everywhere. And then I use the word community. It's also true, I believe, that the hyper-individualism of Western Christianity with its focus on how do I get to heaven with, when I die has led to an individualistic approach to understanding the scriptures. And fundamentally, we come down to, it's me and my Bible. And if I read my Bible, and if I understand it properly and exegete it properly, to use a big word, and if I do that myself, or if I do that by reading commentaries, or or if I do that by going to seminary and understand how to read the text and what's here, that I'll be able to understand God's will for me. 
What should I do and what should I not do? Where should I go to school? Whom should I marry? And all these other kinds of questions. And again, there's nothing wrong with that approach, but I think it misses two fundamental aspects of how God leads and guides us and guides his people through history. And the first one is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We're going to see very shortly, but of course throughout all the book of Acts, that it's about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we're not very good at that. We really don't know how to communicate with God by his spirit and have his spirit guide us. We tend to be tied to the letter of the book. And what we also miss is community. And I am more convinced now than I ever have been that we as Western and American Christians do not know how to understand God's will in community. We don't know how to talk together. We don't know how to open the scriptures together. We don't know how to listen to God's spirit. We don't know how to relate to the context in which we find ourselves as community and discern how God is moving as I forget who it was said, somebody, some of you will know it, the arc of history moves toward justice, moves toward righteousness. We don't know how to discern that very well. And I don't know how to do it very well. None of us really do. One of my favorite verses along this line in the Bible comes from the book of Acts. You remember in chapter 15 there was this there was this first church council because they had an issue about how to incorporate the Gentiles that was really breaking them apart. And they talked and they prayed. And then they came up with this sentence, for it has seemed, to, as they spoke to the, to, the, to, to the churches, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us To lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And they went on to tell what they should do. But there's the key there. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and it seemed good to us. Together with the printed word that we have. And so as we go through the book of Acts, I I want us to understand more and more about, about this idea of empire. And then about this idea of understanding God's leading in community by being sensitive to his Holy Spirit and then coming together to be able to talk together, pray together, read the word together, understand our context together and come to a place where we as a community can discern how God would have us live in the world in which we find ourselves. I am using four primary books uh, for this uh, series You'll find them on our church website if you click under sermons, and then there's a, there's a heading, which uh, God's Community Empire. If you click on that, you'll find these four books. One of them is by um, Beverly Gaventa, uh, a New Testament theologian. One of them is by William Willimon, who's a United Methodist retired bishop. One of them is by Justo Gonzalez, who was born in Cuba. He comes from the Hispanic perspective. But the main book that I'm going to uh, use as a reference is by uh, Willie James Jennings. 
who's African-American, associate professor of systematic theology and Africana studies at Yale University. And he comes from this background. And I just read a little bit from the preface of, of, of his book, Commentary on Acts. I, he says, like so many others, have marched, shouted, sung, prayed, been arrested, handcuffed, and jailed, all while pressing for justice and advocating for those being hurt and killed by policies that advantage the rich and disadvantage everything else. And the thing that fascinates me about Willie James Jennings and his approach is that he comes at it from this perspective of a minority, of someone who has been through much of his life marginalized, although, of course, he's worked through the systems and ended up at Yale Divinity School. So it's this combination of things that that provides a different kind of perspective on the book of Acts. And so I'm just going to quote a few things uh, from his book from the introduction before we get into our um, more looking at Acts in specific and and the first verses. Jennings writes, the book of Acts speaks of revolution. I don't know if you've ever thought about that word in connection with the book of Acts. I never have. I've thought about evangelism and I've talked about church planting, but never revolution. We should never forget this. It depicts life in the disrupting presence of the Spirit of God. There is only one central figure, he writes, in the story of Acts. It is God the Holy Spirit. And you notice, if you think about Acts and read through it, that except for Paul, really, all of the other disciples disappear pretty quickly. They have roles, and then they're gone. Because it's not about the people. It's about the Holy Spirit empowering the church. He goes further. How can faith be found inside of empire? The book of Acts takes place in empire, the Roman Empire, And this is not a fact that we should ever let escape our attention. The goal of the Roman Empire was to shape the world in its own image. Have you ever heard that from another world power? The goal of the Roman Empire was to shape the world in its own image. This is always the desire of empire. Rome understood its task as the reconstruction of land, space, and life under its rule. Life under empire is always life under threat of assimilation and transformation through the weakening and even loss of cultural identities and religious sensibilities. In Acts, we find faith caught between, and he uses a word here, Uh, diaspora, which is actually another word for exile. In Acts, we find faith caught between exile and empire. We, as citizens of God's kingdom, are, to a certain extent, in exile. And we're caught between that exile and empire. It's a struggle in two senses. It's the struggle against the principalities and powers... And it's a struggle to yield to the Spirit. Okay? It's a struggle against the principalities and powers, against empire. And it's a struggle to yield to the Spirit. To not let the siren call of empire carry us away. 
with its falsehoods and its emptiness. We must hear in Acts the story of the pathos of life caught in the grip of exile and empire, of people angry, confused, and frustrated. And doesn't that sound like us right about now? As the resurrected Jesus calls them to envision the new creature in the spirit, which is a mind-altering new life together, fundamental to that reality is the joining of Jew and Gentile. And we'll see this theme throughout Acts. One of the main themes of Acts is, how do we bring together these two people, Jews and Gentiles? And then just one more quote by the book on Acts, the commentary on Acts from, by Gonzalez. And he's speaking here of what he calls the death of national fantasy. The book of Acts is a call to Christians to be open to the action of the Spirit, not only leading them to confront, to confront values and practices in society that may need to be subverted, but perhaps even leading them to subvert or question practices and values within the church itself. So we're not just questioning what's happening around us. We're questioning what's happening inside of us, in our community, and with us as we seek to live as citizens of God's kingdom in the midst of empire, guided by the word, the spirit, and the community. And that's what we're going to, those are the themes we're going to be looking at as we look through the book of Acts. I'd like to introduce the first uh, seven chapters of Acts with a video done by the Bible Project. I recommend, as I've done before, very highly to you, the Bible Project. If you just Google it, Google it on YouTube, you'll find short videos which are very well done, which cover a wide variety of biblical topics. And this is focusing particularly on just a summary of the story of Acts as we find it in the first seven chapters. And note, as you watch the video, uh, the conflict with the empire that you'll see in it, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the theme of community. Introduction to Acts chapters 1 to 7. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke. But Luke continued the story in a second volume called the Book of Acts. And it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a road map for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival it's during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. 
fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. That was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus' body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem, where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem, so they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it must have been exhilarating. But it wasn't all fun and games. Being God's temple is serious business, just like in the Old Testament. So you might know about that strange story in the book of Leviticus about two priests who disrespect God in the temple and then suddenly die. Well, Luke includes here a similar story of two disciples who dishonor God's spirit in this new temple, and they suffer a similar fate. So there's corruption in the community. But the bigger problem is coming from the outside. Yeah, from the other temple. Its leaders are threatened by this new messianic movement, and so they arrest the apostles, they try to stop them. And this brings us to the final story in the Jerusalem section of Acts. We're introduced to a new disciple, Stephen. Oh yeah, Stephen. He's on fire. He steps up as a leader among the disciples to serve the poor, and he would go to the temple courts to teach people about the way of Jesus. So the temple leaders arrest Stephen, and they find false witnesses to accuse him of dishonoring Moses and of being a terrorist who's threatening the temple. In response, Stephen gives this powerful speech about how predictable this whole situation was. Yeah, he retells the whole Old Testament story, highlighting characters like Joseph, Moses, and the prophets, people who are consistently rejected and persecuted by their own people. Israel's been resisting God's representatives for centuries, and so their rejection of Jesus and now of his followers is a rejection of God himself. They get angry, and they start to execute him by picking up rocks and smashing him to death. And as he's dying, he commits himself to the way of Jesus, to suffer because of the sins of others. He even cries out, Lord, don't hold the sin against them. This is basically what Jesus said at his death. Exactly. Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Jesus movement. Many more to come. But this persecution contains seeds of hope, which is why Luke introduces us to a new character here, a religious leader named Saul. 
He stands over Stephen's dead body and even approves of the whole thing. Wait, Saul, you mean the man who becomes the apostle Paul? Yes. Luke is showing how even this tragic murder can't stop Jesus' kingdom. And so many persecuted disciples scatter out of Jerusalem, and just as Jesus said, they head into Judea and Samaria. Now, the story of what happens there, that's what the next section of Acts is all about. Thanks for watching this video. It's the first in a four-part Thanks. I'd like to uh, invite you to open a Bible if you have one with you or uh, follow on the screen. We're going to read the first eight verses of the book of Acts and just make a couple comments on them as we move forward. Luke, who's the author of Acts, writes this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus appears live to the disciples after his suffering, death, and resurrection. By many proofs, Luke says. And with these proofs, you shouldn't just think of some kind of a scientific reason how it could be possible that someone came back from the dead or historical facts that convince you as true as all of those might be. What you need to think of is a person. Jesus, a man still bearing the scars but walking with and loving and forgiving and reconciling with his disciples. This is contact. This is fellowship. This is community. This is relationship. That's how Jesus showed that he was alive. By being with them for 40 days and sharing his life and sharing his teaching. And did you pick up what he taught them about? It's in verse verse 3. He appeared to them during 40 days and he spoke about what? The kingdom of God. That's why you can't get away from empire. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. The message that Luke had, had, 
had tied to Jesus in his gospel. Remember, Jesus came into Nazareth in Luke 4, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. This this word of liberation, of good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's what Jesus came to do. And then Luke sets that up right at the beginning of Acts. That's what Jesus taught. It's a continuation of that same thing. And then the disciples came together and they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because that's what was on their mind. This was the question on the mind of every Jew. And Jesus slides over, if you'll notice in the text, he slides over the time issue. says, that's not really important right now. What is important is that I am going to give you power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And I don't have an answer to this question, but I want to lay it in front of you. When the disciples heard this, we are going to receive power. What do you think they thought of? They were surrounded by empire. They were surrounded by soldiers. They were surrounded by the power of the civil government. They were surrounded by the powers of the laws and the courts and, and, and of Pilate and of, of Herod and of Caesar. They were surrounded by the power of empire. There was almost nothing. They didn't know anything else but that kind of power. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you power. And one of the themes I hope we can follow through Acts is what does that power look like? Because it can't be the power of empire. Because Jesus stood in front of Pilate and said, I could use the power of empire to blow you out of the water, but I'm not going to because my kingdom is not the same as empire. Remember that? So there's something else going on here. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And with this statement, Jesus is telling them very clearly that this establishment of his kingdom is not limited just to Jews. It is now for everyone. There are no walls anymore. There's no separation. There's no person or people who is excluded from this kingdom of God like the Jews always thought for thousands of years. So Jesus is breaking all kinds of molds here, right in these first verses. And I'm going to quote from Gonzalez again. Much of the book of Acts tells how that strange order of God's reign becomes a reality in the life of the church when it is obedient to the dictates of the Spirit. Meanwhile, the events of the old order continue. The rich enjoy. Still those who eat more than is necessary rejoice in their feasting. Still newspapers are more interested in the powerful than in those who suffer. But those of us who have heard the gospel of the kingdom of God know that this new reign is unavoidable reality. Unavoidable reality. And they seek to organize, we seek to organize our lives and our actions, even while living in the old order, in such a way that we will witness to the new order 
for which we are preparing and which we are already in a way in joy. So we're living in this tension. The new reality, the kingdom is here with Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. The kingdom of God has come. But we live in the old order and are trying to figure out how best to experience the new order. And it puts us in this time of tension. And again, I think this is just so appropriate for the time in which we're living right now. As we come out of this year of pandemic, and as our world, sounds like my microphone. Is my microphone doing okay? It's, it's okay now? As, as, as we, we, we see how powerless our empire is, to really solve some of the fundamental problems which our world is facing. As if the old story, the old way of living is crumbling and we're not quite sure what the new way is. We're too individualistic, too focused on ourselves. We're too unable to see the great themes of history and the great themes of the kingdom of God and the the themes of empire. We're just not able to see them. And this week, as often happens, um, a quote came across my Twitter feed. And it's a quote by an Italian political theorist and activist, Antonio Gramsci. He lived from 1891 to 1937. This particular quote is from his prison notebooks. He spent 11 years in prison, imprisoned by the Mussolini regime, and he, he, he wrote this. The crisis, and this was the crisis of the 1930s in Europe, but put any crisis you want. The crisis comes, consists precisely in the fact that the old is dying and the new cannot be born. In this interregnum, a great variety of morbid, deadly symptoms appear. The old is dying and the new is struggling to be born. And that's where we are. And then in researching that quote a little bit, I found another quote by the Catholic eco-mystic Thomas Berry, who lived from 1914 to 2009. And he, he gives it a little more flesh, this quote. I hope you can see the print, especially on your small screens at home. It might be a little difficult. It's all a question of story. We are in trouble just now because we are in between stories. The old story, the account of how the world came to be and how we fit into it, sustained us for a long time. It shaped our emotional attitudes, provided us with life purpose, energized action, consecrated suffering, integrated knowledge, guided education. We awoke in the morning and knew where we were. We could answer the questions of our children. We could identify crime, punish transgressors. Everything was taken care of because the story was there. But now it is no longer functioning properly, and we have not yet learned the new story. The individualism which has fed us for so many centuries now is no longer functioning outside of the church, 
and inside the church. And we have not yet learned the new story about the kingdom of God, about how to listen to the Holy Spirit, and how to find our way in community. I think that's what the, where the disciples were in the book of Acts. Their old Jewish story wasn't working anymore. But now Jesus had come and he'd risen from the dead and the new story was there, but they, were, they hadn't learned it yet. That's why they asked that question. When is this kingdom going to come? And Acts is about how they started to learn it. So what I'd like to ask you and challenge you with as we start to work through Acts is, what's your story? In what ways are you finding that the old story isn't working? And in what ways are you and we perhaps together being challenged to understand the story in new ways? And are you a witness? We spoke about Jesus being with his disciples as a person, spending his time with them, not as a theory and not as a religion and not as a principle and not as some proofs of the resurrection, but as a person loving, reconciling, bringing peace, bringing challenge, bringing meaning to life. And the disciples witnessed that. That is, they experienced it. That's what I'd like to ask you this morning. Do you know Jesus in that way? Do you experience him? you feel his presence in some way as it's mediated through the Holy Spirit? Do you know that he's there? Do you know that everything that's sad is going to come untrue? And have you experienced that in one way or another? Are you witnesses of Jesus who is king of the world. And do you have this vision of the kingdom, which then, as his witnesses, sends you out into the world in which God has placed you to tell about that kingdom and to give people at all levels of society, wherever they are, but especially those who are oppressed and marginalized and poor and sad and lonely, and hurting, and suffering loss, especially those where you can bring this word of the kingdom. Say, Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead, again from the dead, he's ascended into heaven, he's king of the world, and everything is going to be all right. That's what the book of Acts is talking about how we live in that tension, and how we do it as God's people together serving him. Amen.